Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. Would you welcome North Judson and Wadatal and Hebron Full Throttle? Come on, welcome them. They're jumping online. Hey, Amanda and James had their little baby last week. Miss Lucy, I don't think she's in the house, but I know Pastor James is there. Man, just glad Pastor James and Amanda does such a great job at our North Chelsea campus. A lot of great things are happening down there. You know, I just love kids. I, I love kids' mindset. I love what they, how they think sometime. I want to give you some understanding marriage from a kid's uh, uh, standpoint and finding what you're looking for. Eric, age six, says, marriage is when you get to keep your girl and don't have to give her back to her parents. <laughs> well, if that was true, there'd be no divorce, right? So here's Ricky, age 10, says, marriage works if you tell your wife she looks pretty and beautiful even though she looks like a truck. <laughs> well, he's got some wisdom there, doesn't he? Here is Caroline, age eight, said, my mother says marriage works if you look for a man who is kind and nice. So that's what I'll do. I'll find somebody who's kind of nice, kind of tall, kind of handsome, kind of rich. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, Caroline, she's got something going on there at age eight, doesn't it? Here's Anita, age nine. It's better for boys to be single, or it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need somebody to clean up after them. Anita must have some brothers, right? And then one more, Christy, age 10. No person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all the way beforehand. We get to find out later who we're going to be stuck with for the rest of our life. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, ordained marriage of God. And, uh, well, you know, we started last week in, in the question, and we're looking at questions this year. And we started last week on the question, what are you looking for? And I didn't, I didn't complete the process. I wanted to come back and make this a two a two. Uh, part two, and really after I preached the first service, I probably could have made it a part three, so we're going to see where we go with it this morning. But we're looking at John chapter one, and uh, the question that we find today is out of the Gospels is a question that Jesus is going to turn and ask two of John's disciples. I'm going to read it, and we'll get there. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the world's sin. He is the one I was talking about when I said, Soon a man, far greater than I, is coming, who existed long before me. The following day, as John was standing with two of his disciples, Jesus walked by. John looked at him intently and then declared, See, there is the Lamb of God. Then John's two disciples turned and followed Jesus, made a decision, changed their direction, and Jesus looked around and saw them following. What are you looking for? He asked them. Sir, they replied, where do you live? Come and see, he said. And I shared with you last week, what, what would it be like if every day that we got up, every, every day that we, we started our day, and we, we started our day with asking this question, what am I looking for? Because most of us understand the answer to this question reveals about our life, about our relationships, and about the world that we're living in. It, it, it's really one of those questions that they cause you to stop and just diagnosed just a little bit because whatever we're looking for, it puts us on a particular course or direction of our life, right? I mean, if you're looking for something, you, 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 you start moving towards that direction. And what am I looking for? Ask me at this moment, is my life on course? And, and I said last week, and I just want to reiterate, there's so many people today 
that will value speed over direction. They want to get somewhere fast, but they're not as concerned about direction and the course that they're getting. Now listen, I like to go fast. I like, to, I like things to happen quickly. I'm a type A personality. I want God to do it, and I want God to do it today. Come on, anybody like that? Yeah, I mean, we, we want it to happen, and we want speed. But listen, here's the thing about it. If you're going the wrong direction, if you're on the wrong course, I don't care how fast and how quick you get there, you always end up at the wrong place, right? Come on. So, so direction is important. Knowing what course your, your life is headed. So what am I looking for causes me to stop and say, am I headed in the right direction? And if not, maybe I need to change my course. Maybe I need to find a different way to search and look and find what I'm looking for. Because this text is all about seekers. It's about the process of looking and seeking and finding. And the truth be told, many of us are like John's two disciples. We don't always know what we're looking for. We don't understand sometimes the longings or the desires that we have living inside of us. Many of us are driven by these, by these demands for answers, and many times they refuse delay. And these longings that we have, what, what if we stopped and understood the fact that many times there are longings that have been put there by God in order to get us to the right direction and to the right place in our life? And I mentioned seven last week, and I had so many people that asked me, said, Pastor Phil, I, I didn't write them down. Could you give them to them? So I'm not, I'm not going to preach these seven, but I want to just kind of fill you in. Now, now there, there, there may be 27, but study after study has been determined that every man, woman, boy, or girl has, has at some point dealt with these seven longings of our heart. There, there's this longing to be enjoyed by God. We have this, we have this hold, this vacuum, this, this, this empty space in our life that can only be filled with a right relationship with God. We, we, we have this drive, this necessity that we want to pursue something, trying to feel, and we want to be enjoyed by God. We have this longing for fascination. We have this desire to, 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 to not live very long a bored life. We, we will do some crazy things sometimes out of the, simply the fact that we want to be fascinated by that fact. Uh, we have this longing for endless beauty. I mean, some of you have probably seen the report, the sad truth about the two Americans that lost their life down in Mexico. Now, when the report came out, these four that was there, they were in Mexico for a medical procedure. Okay, right? Come on. But when it really came out, the medical procedure, they went all the way to Mexico from South Carolina was for a tummy tuck. Okay? Two of them died. That, that, that longing for endless beauty that longing to somehow or another, I, I, I started to bring some photos of some of the known actors in Hollywood that, that have absolutely destroyed themselves because they've pumped themselves with, with so many things trying to get the wrinkles out, and, and they've had cosmetic surgeries to the point that now they've marred. But what is that? It's that longing for endless beauty. It's that desire somehow or another to be able to change our identity. You understand this identity thing we got going on in our culture today? It didn't start in the 21st century. Way back in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The very first temptation he dealt with with Satan was, if you be the Son of God. Right? Come on. You remember reading that? If you be the, what was he doing? He was attacking his identity. He was trying to get Jesus to doubt whose image he was and who he really was. Can I tell you, that is sweeping our world today. 
And it's not just middle-aged people. We got young girls that, that are bombarded with the desire to look thin or look like this or have this bigger or that smaller. And, and, and listen, it's creating a Christ. Do you understand? Oh, this is good preaching right now. Do you understand the only way that you can ever satisfy the longing for endless beauty is to give your life to Jesus Christ. One day we're going to have a brand new supernatural body. It will never get sick. It will never grow old. You won't have to tuck it. You won't have to hide it. You won't have to, listen, it will be a glorious body. That's the only way you're going to have endless beauty. Well, good preaching, Pastor Phil. But we see that longing today. How does people go about the longing for greatness, the longing for intimacy without shame? These are longing. What are we looking for? We don't always understand it. The longing to be wholehearted, devoted to something. You ever seen men and women today? They will devote their lives to a company, to a career, only to find at some point they get to the place where the company says, we're done with you, you're out, hasta la visa, somebody else in here, and now you're saying, you look, oh, I devoted my whole life to that. Hello? It happens every day. Listen, why do we do that? Why, why in the world? Because we have this longing to be wholehearted devoted. We have this longing to, to spend our life in something or for something. Listen, that longing is met when we wholly, 100% surrender our life to Jesus Christ, knowing that everything we do upon this earth is like laying up treasures in heaven where neither thief nor robber nor moth can get to. Well, good preaching, Phil. I'll encourage myself. That's okay. <laughs> Lastly, we have this longing for deep, lasting impact. There's this longing that we have that we, we want to feel like our life has meant something, right? I read about this older man. He always asked the same question to every person he ever met. Didn't ask their name. Didn't ask them where they live, where their job, where their family. He asked them this question, what have you done that you really believe in and you are proud of? What have you done that you really believe in and you are proud of? What is that? That, that, that? That's asking the question of that longing. I want to have a lasting impact. I, I, I want to I I live my life in such a way that when I do leave this earth, that I leave a legacy. You know how you do that? You, 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 you live your life, life before your kids, and they catch your faith. They catch the fire and the passion that you have for your God. And then your kids pass it on to their kids and your grandkids and then your great-grandkids, and then it's legacy after legacy. Your life never stops living. There's people right here today, or, or this church today is here because of people that made a lasting legacy impact almost 75 years ago by the sacrifices they made, by the faithfulness that they stood for, and they stood, and they worked, and they did. So why? So one day we would have a Heartland Christian Center that's still vibrant in 2023, but not just one campus. We will have four campuses, and we're doing amazing things for God. What, where does that come from? That long-lasting impact. Now listen, we understand that our response to these longings, what do we do with them? Listen, they're going to determine our success and they're going to determine our failure. And here's the sad thing of what happened. So many people spend a large amount of energy alternating between denying these desires exist. Oh, I, I don't have no longing. It's just about God. You know, it's not about me. It's just we, we deny we have any longing for success and, and significance, or we spend a lot of time trying to fulfill them in unhealthy, ungodly, and destructive ways. Hello. That's what a lot of people do. We, we, we alternate between Denying they exist, I have no desire for greatness. I have no desire for intimacy without shame. I have no desire for endless. We 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 spend time alternating between they're they're not there or we try to 
somehow or another fulfill them in these ungodly, unhealthy, and destructive ways. So here, here, here's the other option I want to give you. Because some of you need the other option, okay? Because neither one of those really work. The other option, what if we acknowledge these longings, these desires, as something that comes directly from God? And we started positioning our hearts to allow Him to answer and to satisfy them the way that He intended for them to be fulfilled. What if? Listen, I think that's what Jesus is doing with these two disciples of John who started following. Listen, they left John and he started following Jesus. Again, they didn't leave John because they're mad or upset. They saw the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And they started following Jesus. Twice they heard John say, this is the, this is the one that takes away the, the world's sin. And then they started following. So they have the answer right before them. He's there, and Jesus moves. So what do they do? They move with Jesus, say, but Jesus stops and looks him right square in the eye. And he asks him, what are you looking for? Now, what Jesus is interested in their desires. He's interested in what are, you, what are you really searching for? Now, what's it? I gave this to you last week. I want to give it again. Union with Christ without communion with Christ. Is what gives us joyless Christianity. Now listen, union with, with Christ without communion with Christ gives us joyless Christianity. Well, what do I mean by union? I'm talking about that eternal union that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ as we accept him as our personal Savior. We ask him to forgive us of our sin. He comes in our life. Romans chapter 8 says that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We have this eternal union. It cannot be broken. It cannot be undermined. It cannot be shattered. We didn't do anything to get saved, and we can do nothing to stay saved. Okay? It's all God's idea. He holds us in his hand, and Jesus said, nobody can pluck you out of my hand. That's union. These disciples of John already had been baptized by John. They had already experienced a repentance relationship. That's what John taught. He taught repentance. He taught turning from their way. They had experienced that. They had some type of union. But now they turned and they followed Jesus, and now they move away from just having union, and they want to have communion with him. Where do you stay? You with me? Where do you stand? Now, the problem we, we have in the church today is just simply the fact that we have people that have union, but they don't enjoy communion. So what do you do? You have joyless Christians. Well, I got to go to church. I, if I don't go to church, the Lord might get me. He might strike lightning. My, and I might say, if I don't go over there and help in the nursery a little bit, if I don't serve with a kid, if I, and you, you have this joyless Christian, you have union but you don't enjoy the relationship of the community. Listen, the Bible says this. Look, look at John 15, 7, 8. He said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, that's communion. That, that's, that's more than just union. That's communion. If you remain, if you stay, if you abide in me, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit proving yourselves to be my disciples. Now listen, he said God is glorified when we bear much fruit, proving ourselves. Listen, we don't prove ourselves to have union. We, we don't somehow or another clean ourselves up to get presentable for God to somehow or another save us. Am I preaching yet? There's nothing you can do. You can't take off enough. You can't put on enough. You can't stop anything to try to make yourself presentable. All of our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. He and he alone is what gives us the righteousness of God. But he said when there's communion, when we're abiding, remaining, staying where he stays, living where he he said, then the Father is glorified when we bear much fruit. What is the fruit he's talking about? He's talking about Christian character, Christian conduct, Christian converts. 
He's talking about Galatians chapter 5, where we experience the, the fruit of the Spirit that is produced not out of union. The, the fruit of the Spirit comes out of communion with Him. The, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control. All of that is the fruit of the Spirit. Those are elements of communion, not just elements of union with Jesus Christ. Now, listen, I, I love the fact that people come to Jesus, but the sad truth about the American church today is the fact that we have too many people sitting in churches that have union without communion, and union without communion is, is behind any decline that the American church is seeing in the culture today. The church in America is not growing like the churches around the world. The church in America, by every estimate, by every person who does all the study, they say we're losing ground. People are not coming. They're not staying. They don't. Why? It isn't because they don't have union. I'm not saying they're not saying. I'm saying they don't have communion. When you have communion with Jesus Christ, it's going to be demonstrated in your character, in your conduct. You can't keep it to your You've got to tell somebody else, and you'll find yourself living not with a joyless Christianity, but with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Well, good preaching, Pastor Phil. Yeah, thank you for the patty cakes. How many people do you see going through our culture today? And it's, they're, they're trudging along as this is, a, this is a hard task. Oh, it's so difficult. It's just so many things. Listen, if you focus on this world, yeah, you, you will find yourself in constant uh, places of agony and misery and defeat in your life. Listen, here, here, I, I said this in the first service. Let me, let me see if you get it. Many in this room know and will acknowledge John 15 and 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, basically, without me, you can do nothing. Right? Come on. We, we can't do anything of eternal, true existence without Christ. Abiding, remaining in him. But listen, while many of us know that we can do nothing without him, the problem is we never learn to do anything with him. We know we can do nothing without him. But when you start living in communion, you learn, wait a minute, I can do something with him. Again, look back at John 15 and 4. Now, th- th- these ain't my words, these are Jesus' words. He said, take care, live in me. That means remain in me, stay in me. Live in me and let me live in you. Union and communion, for a branch can't produce fruit when it's severed from the vine, nor can you be fruitful apart from me. Duh. Everybody say duh. We know that. But, everybody say but. But if you stay, abide, remain, live in me, and obey my commandments, you may ask any request you like, and it'll be granted you. Did, 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 Did you hear that? If you stay, that, he's talking about being active. That, that word abide is a verb. It's an active. It's not a feeling. It's not a belief. It's something we do. It means we remain in him. We stay in him. It, it gives far more the idea that we continue to believe in him. It's an ongoing process. And if I believe in him, I stay with him, I, I come along beside him, I'm following him, I have union with him, I have communion with him. He said, you can ask whatever you will, and it shall be done to I said this last week, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of a consistent, close communion with him, to always be learning on him and resting on him, leaning on him and resting on him. What is that? That's communion with Christ. And then he says this, this crazy, outrageous thing. We'll believe 
will believe, I can do nothing without him. But will you dare believe, you can ask what you will, and it shall be given to you. You follow me? Again, there's a lot of Christians sitting in churches that have union. Oh, they've, they've held, well, we can't do anything without Jesus. You know what? Tell you what? I guess we just sat here and just kind of hold on. And, you know, I don't know what the Lord's doing in this world, but we certainly can't do anything. And you, they, oh, they believe it hook, line, and sinker. But they're dying on the vine. You follow me? Joyless Christianity. They look at the dark, lost, broken world, and they curse the darkness rather than saying, wait a minute, I'm alive. I have a pulse. I have a, I have a purpose. Maybe I'm supposed to go into this dark world and be a light that shines and be salt to season. Yes. Lord Jackson, you helping me today. I, I'll pull. It's just they're, they're thinking a lot. I know. So what's this? How do we go about asking for what we want? Because many Many of us, we're, we're surprised by this invitation. Many of us cannot comprehend that Jesus would say, if you stay in me, abide in me, obey my command, you can ask any request that you have, and it's going to be granted you. Because a lot of people say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor Phil. I thought that when I come and I have union with Jesus Christ, I'm supposed to put all of my wants and all of my desires, I put all of them on the back shelf. I'm only supposed to be concerned with what God wants. You ever, you ever met people who felt that way? Oh, it ain't about me. Why? Where did you think those desires and longings come from? Listen, all of these things, all, the, the, these are things that often bring conflict with us. I can do nothing without him. I believe that, Pastor. But will you believe I can do all things through Christ? Whatever I ask in his name is going to be given. Look at James 4 and 2. There's, there's three. There's more than three, but I give you three verses, James 4 and 2. You do not have because you do not ask. Matthew 7 and 7. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. Philippians 4 6. Let your requests be made known to God. Listen, when, when it comes to our union and communion with Christ, there's so many pictures that the Bible points to us and gives us, gives us these analogies. And when you search the Scriptures, and again, I, please, I, I don't have time to preach every one of them, but, but the Bible often gives us different pictures about the kingdom. What's the kingdom of God? There's a, there's a, there's a fishing picture that, that we're fishers of men, we cast the net, right? Come on, we go out and we're fishing. There, there, there's, a, there's a farming a uh, picture that we get, a metaphor in sowing and reaping and pruning. And, and many people that, that are farmers, you can understand the kingdom likeness to culture. You got to sow, you got to plant, you got to water, and trust God, you're going to have a harvest. There, there's a kingdom that's referred to fighting. I mean, Paul talked about in Ephesians that we fight the good fight of faith, and, and we pictured to be soldiers, and, and, and anybody that's ever fought in war can, can kind of relate to that. But listen, have you stopped and think, well, out of all of those, those pictures and those metaphors, as we get close to the return of Jesus Christ, the, the one picture that God emphasizes the most, the most, is the picture of the bride and the bridegroom. Matter of fact, there's some prophetic people saying right now that this is the bridegroom generation. That this is the generation that we're going to equip our hearts with holy affection. We're going to endure all the troubles and trials that, that, that everything gets told of us as we prepare one day to stand before the, 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 the bride or the groom himself, Jesus Christ. And we are going to be the bride of Christ and we're going to be united with him forever. This is the, this is the bridegroom generation. You can look at this world right now. Things are happening. What is this? Is this world going to go down? No. Listen, God's getting ready to take the church up. In Matthew 22 and 2, let's just listen. I'm, I'm going to show you something here. The kingdom of God, Matthew 22 and 2, the kingdom of God is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. I can imagine 
the gleam in Jesus' eye of understanding that the father in that, in that, in that parable, the, 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 the king is the father God himself. The certain king is the father God. And the father God is planning, planning a marriage for his own son. The scripture makes it clear that God possesses this plan in his heart that one day everything is going to conclude upon the face of this earth as the church, the people of God, the men and women that have had union with Christ and communion with Christ, and one day it's going to end in this great marriage supper of the Lamb. There's just going to be this great wedding celebration. And the human bride one day will be enthroned and will be embraced and adored by Jesus himself as we rule with Christ. Wow. Now watch this. This is so good. Can you do it? Yeah, I can do it. This is so good. This is so good. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, this bridal picture of the kingdom is given by Christ as one of his final earthly messages. It's one of his final, listen, it's the most powerful method to, to, to transform a person's heart when they think, listen, it's just not about union, it's about communion. What am I looking for? I just don't want union, I want communion. I want to abide, I want to stay with you. Listen, the Bible says in Revelations 22 and 17, write this down if I didn't put it in your notes. The Bible says in Revelation 22 and 17, in the last days, the spirit and the bride will say come. Now what's this? The, the, the cry that will arise from both the spirit and the bride. He, he, he didn't say the spirit and the army. We're, we're, we're not, a, listen, are we an army? Do we fight battles? Yeah, but we're not being identified as we get close to the return of Jesus as an army. We're not even being identified as family. Are we family? Yeah, we are. The Bible said the scripture identifies it is the spirit and the bride that says come. Now think about this. Just, think, just, just stay with me. How many people do you know are motivated to serve God out of fear of punishment? Oh, if I don't, I don't do the right thing. I, I know the Lord's just there. He's ready to smack me away from the table and punish me and fire going to come, you know. And in their minds, listen, in their minds, there, there are religious people in their minds, they think that God spends most of his time angry and upset and if we misstep, the fury of heaven is going to be unleashed upon us. And ironically, these people will serve in the church, but ironically, they serve out of fear rather than out of a love relationship. They serve out of, I have to do this rather than, I get to go to church today. I get to serve in the nursery this morning. I get to be with the youth tonight. I get to sing on the worship team. I get to be able to use my talent for Jesus Christ and play. I get to, listen, people who serve out of, I better do that. Oh, the Bible says if you don't use your gift, he'll take it away. Right? Come on. Listen, so many people that just have union without communion Misery becomes a part of their identity with Jesus Christ. And they find themselves living more, motivated more out of fear than rather than the love relationship. Right? Listen, for, for, for the obedience that God wants out of us should be out of that love relationship out of, as a bride and a bridegroom. This, this bridal picture is a picture that God one day is going to have volunteer lovers who show up and present themselves holy, white, clean. Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 5. I don't have time to go through all of that. But listen, they, they show up and they present themselves in Ephesians 5 and 26 as a spotless, blameless bride presented to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself is the eternal bridegroom, and we are the bride of Christ. We are the chosen ones by God to, to be his eternal partner. Now, what's this? Understanding this gives us in the insight of how we were formed and the reason why we really exist before the creation of the world. 
God had a son, but he wanted a family, and he would one day give his son a bride, which is the church. Now, let me, let me, let me tell you why some of you are looking to me like a calf at a new gate like, uh, that means what? What's this? Imagine this young couple is going to get married. Happens all the time. People say, hey, Pastor, I want to get married. We want you to do traditional vows, you know, love, honor, you know, to death do us part, sickness and hell. But along with that, we're going to write our own vows. You, you hear that, right? Imagine this, this groom and this bride are going to get married, and the groom says, I'm going to write my vows. You don't write any vows because this marriage isn't about you. It's all about me. And the groom shows up, and the pastor does all of his traditional stuff. And then the broom pulls out his little piece of paper. He said, here's the vows that I've written. From this day forward, you are going to be my heart's delight, and I will love you with my all being and my all self. However, you must understand that from this moment on, you must not expect me to have the slightest interest in your wants and your needs and your desires. So when death, until death do us part, your happiness will now consist in you submitting yourself totally to me, to my will, dedicated to me, with no thought of your own desires and your own needs and your own wishes. Yeah. You think she's going to run into the arms of a, of a bridegroom like that? If she's got any sense in her mind, she's going to say, Asta La Vista, I'm out of here. Bless your little heart. I am not marrying you. Right? Come on. Be honest. Come on. Be honest. Yet there are so many people in the church that have union without communion. They believe Christ is like that kind of a bridegroom. We come to Jesus Christ we surrender our life to him. We submit to his will. Our will, our desires, our needs, our wants, they're all put on the shelf. It's to death to his part, Jesus. We're in this thing. Let's go. That's the reason why you have people with union without communion. They have joyless Christianity. It's not fun being married to somebody who bosses you around all the time and they want you meeting their needs, you wiping up, you cleaning up, you bringing up. You're, you're right, right. Nobody in their right mind wants to be in that relationship. And yet there are many Christians think that's the way God is. And yet, listen, when Jesus asked these two disciples of John, what are you looking for? Listen, that very question demonstrates to us he is concerned about their desires. He wants to know what their interest is. He really wants to know how he can help them. God doesn't want us to ignore our longings or push them aside. Psalms 37 and 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness like the dawn, your justice like the noonday sun. Be still before God and wait patiently for him. You don't want to wait for a bridegroom coming home every day thinking, oh, my God, what is he going to ask of me today? Oh, Jesus. Lord, how much more can I take? He's going to walk in that door. I've got to have the food done. I've got to have the house clean. I've got to have everything fixed just right. And just hoping, I'm just hoping that I'm going to please him. You follow me? How many Christians live their life that way? When he says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Listen. A person that has union and communion with Christ understands we don't find our life and our security in the things that God brings about in our life. We find our life and security in Him. As we delight ourselves in Him, we allow Him to mold and make our hearts to what He destined us to be. It's in Him 
then all of a sudden I can say, wait a minute, I, I am expecting this marriage to happen. I have my betrothal to him. I'm engaged to what kind of a bridegroom? I'm engaged to the bridegroom who says, Matthew 7, you ask him what will be given. You seek and you'll find. You knock and it will be open to you. That's the kind of bridegroom Jesus is. He said, if you evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father not give good things to them who ask him? What is he telling us? You have union with me and communion with me. You know what I do with my, my ear and my eyes? The Bible says in 2 Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth, desiring to make himself known to those who are upright before him. He's looking. He's looking and saying, okay, this, this constant demanding image that you have of the bridegroom that I mentioned early is wrong. The bride and the bridegroom is the picture that he wants us to see. This is the day that we're living in. This, we're, we're not dressing for war. Do we fight battles? Yes. Do we take the sword of the Spirit? Yes. The sword of the Spirit is not a big old long sword. It's a surgical sword. Most theologians say it's about 12, 14 inches long. It does surgery. When there is a fiery dart that might get high, that shield of faith, you can surgically take the word of God and remove that fiery dart and just keep on going because God is a sustaining God in your life. But the picture isn't war, 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 fight, fight, fight. No, the picture is get ready. We're about to have a wedding. Get yourself dressed up. Get yourself clean. That's where the character comes in. That's where the conduct comes in. That's where the fruit of the Spirit comes in. We're dressing ourselves. Why? One day we're going to stand and the groom himself is going to come. But until it happens, what do we do? Write this down. I gotta, I'm out of time. Turn your thoughts to prayers. This is what he's telling us. Listen, most of us know when, when we're wanting something, we're looking for something in our life, what do they do? They, that, that thing consumes our thoughts, right? Come on. We, we, can, we can become obsessively thinking about things that we want the most. And Jesus understands that. He doesn't say, oh, you wicked, unworldly, worldly thing, you, 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 get away from me. No, Jesus said, I understand you have needs, wants, and desires. I understand you're looking for something. So what do I want you to do? He said, you ask, you seek, and you knock. Asking what? It, it, it means we pray bold prayers. When I ask, I'm not, a, I'm not going to a, to, to a groom that I'm afraid that he's going to slap me or, or abuse me. I'm going to a groom that's already committed to himself. Listen, I'm concerned about the very desires of your heart. What is it, baby, you want today? What can I do for you to make you smile again? You follow me? That's the picture God wants us to see. We ask, we seek Seeking, what does that mean? It, it means praying even more bolder. Seeking requires effort. It takes time to, to seek something out. And then he says, knock, and the door will be open. That's praying. Knocking is the boldest way we pray because knocking at the door, what does it do? It interrupts. It, it, it takes persistence to knock. It puts us in the position of, 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 of risk being rejected or ignored. It's like, you know, if you parents, you got kids, and, you know, you and your wife want to be together, and you go in the bedroom door, and you shut the door, and, you know, kids are playing. Then sure enough, just, just as soon as you shut, they start knocking. Mom! Dad! You know, and the husband says, forget about it. No, no, no. They're not going away. Forget it. It's over, okay? They're persistent. They're going to keep knocking until what? Till you open that door. That's what Jesus is saying. In the Greek language, those three words, ask, seek, and knock, it's in the present active imperative tense. It simply means we keep asking, we keep seeking, we keep knocking. He wants us to pray persistent, 
big prayers. He wants us to make it a habit to ask him and keep on asking him. Does that mean God gives us whatever we want then? No. Because listen, a lot of the desires that we initially express, they're not true longings of our hearts. A lot of times what we think is the utmost desire of our heart is a surface desire. You have to get to the, to the underneath. People say, you know, I'm just praying to lose weight. I just, I want God to help me to lose weight. Is that a bad prayer? Well, it can be a bad prayer if you're trying to lose weight to try to measure up to somebody's image of what they think is pretty or not pretty or big or small. To lose weight is a bad prayer if you're trying to say, listen, I want to lose weight where people think I'm attractive and I want to be. No, losing weight can be a surface prayer unless you say, listen, I know I'm overweight. I know I'm not healthy. I've got a wife. I've got kids. I want to live a long time. I want to take care of my kids, God. I want, to, I want to be effective in the kingdom. God, I need you to help me with this weight thing. You understand, God answers that prayer, not because it was a selfish, but now you've dug down to what's the real motive of that? I want a new car. I want a different job. A lot of times that can be surface. But if you want a new car because you're, 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 you're tired of breaking down every time you go to church or do ministry and, and your kids are getting danger, in danger, that's one thing. If you want a new car, just be like, oh, well, I'm driving. I got a brand new car. Then God, God's not interested in that, sir. You follow me? It comes back to like to self in the Lord. He'll give you what's the real desire of your heart. There's nothing wrong with these surface-level responses. If we stop and, and with, with, with these and we keep looking, what's the deeper thing that's happening there? James says this in James 4 and 3. When you ask and you do not perceive, because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend on what you get on your pleasure. So are there times that God says no to our request when we pray with boldness, persistence? We ask, we seek, we not? Yeah. Of course there are. But then James says in verse 2, but do, you do not have because you do not ask God. We ask God for those deep longings. God, I, I know I've created and made in your image, and that, that image that I've made and I've marred it. I've, mis, I've, I've misused my body. I've abused my body. Now, Father God, I'm praying for strength. I want to I be healthy. I want to be whole, not because so that I can go to the gym and work out an hour every day. I want to be healthy and whole so I can love my family better. I can be there for my kids. I can, I can do ministry. That now, you, you see what's happening to the desires, how they change? Jesus says in Luke 18 and 1, he said, always pray and never give up. Again, when you look at those three passages, I've got I've to hurry. Come on, Pastor Lindsay. When you look at those three passages that follow each other in the book of John, whatever you ask in my Father's name, I'll do. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. John 14, he said, if you abide in me, my words about it, whatever you ask. He said, I'm going to do it. In all three verses, Jesus gives us a command and he gives us a promise. And three times... Because he is a loving, caring bridegroom. He urges his bride to say, ask, seek, knock. And he follows it with astounding promises. It's not a blank check in our hands. It's not, oh, you just go out here and you know, name it, claim it. No, this is what he's doing. But listen, the reason why many of us, oh, oh, I believe I can do nothing without him. But the sad thing, you won't even believe you can do anything with him. If you believe that all things are possible, you have to get out of that poverty mindset. You have to get out of that I'm not worthy mindset. We have to get out of that mindset, I don't have enough faith. You're, you're missing the point of 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 the scripture, we, the Jesus' point is answered prayer isn't about us. It isn't about what we can do. Jesus is talking about whatever we ask in his name. He said, I'm going to do it. Why? So the Father will be glorified. It isn't about us. These verses about what God 
wants to do in us. Why? Because he's a, he's a heavenly father that knows how to give good things to his kids that ask. Jesus is saying, God, that's my bride down there, buddy. They're getting ready for me. I want their, I want this marriage and this relationship that I'm going to have. I want it to be a love relationship. So what do we do? We ask. We turn it to Jesus. Secondly, you turn your fear into faith. Again, most of us know that when we face difficult situations or, or things that give us stress, we start to panic. Sometimes we don't know what to do. We don't know how to move forward. What do we do? We take that fear and we turn it to faith. We give God our problems and have faith in him that he's going to turn things around. Why? Because he is a God that has proven himself time and time again that he can move mountains if he has to. He can dry up seas if he needs to. He can shut the mouths of lions if he needs to. He can drown a whole army in the river if he has to. He can do the impossible. He Listen, so what I do, I take all of my fear and I turn it to faith. I give him my, my anxiety. I give it to him. Some people's nature in our culture today, the smallest things just brings them into anxiety. You listen to the news, you, you follow all that stuff, you, social media just fills your life. Listen, God wants you to know that he's concerned about your anxiety. He's concerned about what's important to you is important to him. Understand that. We had one of our parishioners at our biker church a couple weeks ago said, hey, you know, Pastor Phil said, uh, I got a horse, and, you know, he's 27 years old. He's had all kind of sickness. I've been trying to doctor him and doctor him, and I'm running out of money, and doctor says he wants to do this or that, and, and I don't know. I, I can't afford it, and I, it looks like I've got to put him down. Would you come and pray for my horse? Yes, Absolutely. Now listen, horses don't have souls, okay? Animals don't have souls. They're God's creation. He loves animals. There's going to be animals in heaven. Matter of fact, the Bible said we're going to, there's going to be a group of God's people that's going to come back to this earth riding on white horses. So some of you can't ride, you better get to practicing. You're going to be going side to side. But she said, would you come? Somebody heard me say yes, and they said, Pastor Phil, why would you spend your time going to pray for a horse? I said, listen, it ain't about the horse. God is concerned about her heart. She was in tears telling me about that animal. It was close to her. She had spent time and energy. That's what God is concerned about. And listen, if there's anything in your life today that's giving you anxiety and stress, you've got to know it's not nothing too big nor too small that God isn't concerned about. I took Pastor Levi and we went to pray Thursday. And lo and behold, we show up there and the horse is already doing better. I said, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to go tell people I healed a horse. Might as well claim it. I healed a horse. Why? Because God's concerned. Lastly, number four, believe that he wants to provide what you're looking for. These disciples followed Jesus. Jesus turned around, saw them following. What are you looking for? We, we, we want to know where you stay. Jesus said, come on. Come on and see. The greatest thing that God says to us in this world today is just come. He doesn't stiff arm us away. Doesn't say you're too big, too, too small, your needs are too wimpy. You're, no, everything about what God says is that I want you to come. And we have to believe that God wants to provide whatever we're looking for. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.